Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I'm very excited about today's topic. It's called Emotionally Healthy Hiring, Paid or Volunteer. Emotionally Healthy Hiring, Paid or Volunteer. It is perhaps the most difficult part of serving as a leader, especially in a church setting, uh, but it also applies, of course, to nonprofit leaders and marketplace leaders. And I know for me, it's definitely was one of the most challenging parts of my long history of pastoring and leading a church. And now the reason we hire people uh, or even empower a volunteer is we want to multiply ourselves. We want to expand our influence. Uh, we could just do it all ourselves. But again, part of leadership is expanding and multiplying ourselves and our influence. So what, what happens often is we hire someone or we put someone in a position and we're all excited, we're overjoyed, we're, we say, oh, what a breakthrough. But then over time we realize, hmm, this isn't working out. And then we find ourselves thinking, how are we gonna, how am I going to end this? And then that's often a long process, often very messy, rarely is it not messy. And then after all the fallout of that, we have to start the process all over again. The temptation to cut corners uh, is enormous. Uh, and now what's interesting is churches are in a process of rebuilding uh, as churches are now gathering again around the world to meet together on weekends. And so people are desperately building new teams and staffs. And folks are very afraid of falling behind because if I don't get a new whatever children's pastor or youth pastor or whatever or leader, uh, as soon as possible, families or people might start leaving the church. So I've been asked over the years a lot about hiring, uh, but I've never actually sat down and listed for myself all my mistakes, which I did recently. It was a three-page, single-space document of just all the mistakes I've made over the decades. And then what I did is I actually characterized them uh, into principles. And so it was such a good list. I shared it with um, some folks a couple of weeks ago. And... Uh, a number of them said, I've never heard this in my life. Uh, and I realized, wow, there's some gold here that came out of all of my mistakes. Uh, and so I've got 13 principles here for you. Today, I'm going to do part one uh, on emotionally healthy hiring, paid or volunteer. We're going to deal with seven of the principles. And then next week, we'll deal with the final six. Some of the points are just too big, too important to skim over quickly. All right. So let's launch into it on the first principle of emotionally healthy hiring. The first is this, test run before you commit. Test run before you commit. If I was going to say this very crassly, if you were going to go buy a car uh, in, a, in, a, in a used car lot, uh, you would definitely drive that car before you bought it. You wouldn't just look at the brochure and the externals uh, of the beautiful leather, perhaps, or the car color, etc. You would actually drive it. Now, I didn't test run uh, especially in my early years, before I made a commitment. Uh, and uh, so I remember actually the first person I hired, we were church planting at the time, to be our treasurer. And she owned a home. Uh, I was impressed. She seemed pretty orderly. Uh, she seemed to manage her checkbook real well. I just made her the treasurer. Uh, I don't have to say much else to say it didn't work out real well. Um, or, you know, someone's leading a rock band. You know, they become a Christian uh, and boom, you're like, I'm going to make them the worship leader. Fantastic. You know, and my gosh, you know, <laughs> we have no idea. Or someone's available. They've moved to the area. 
your area and perhaps they're unemployed. You've got a need. They, they meet that need apparently really well. I mean, I've done this. And I'm like, well, God must be in this. Let's go for it. And uh, that was actually the first person I had to formally let go that I had hired. Uh, and I remember losing some nights sleep over that. So when I say test run before you commit, it's figuring out a way, uh, and it takes some thought, that you can actually see them in action somewhat. So of course, it may be something like maybe you can hire them on a contract employee basis on a, on a segment of the job, or maybe they try doing it for a couple of months. Well, there's a probation period for three to six months. You want to discern, is there a good fit? Not just for you and your team, but is there a good fit for them? I love, if possible, to do a genogram with people. And, uh, you know, again, they had some some, uh, participation in uh, some of the principles that we talk about often on this podcast. Uh, It gives me a sense of their history, uh, their personal history, their life history, uh, often their work history. But again, I'm looking for... Is it the right fit? What what have they done before? Now, I'll give you an example. I I had someone come to me once, and as I was getting better at this, and they wanted to be a free intern. And they were coming. They were pastoring a church in a different part of the country. They wanted to come to uh, New York City, and uh, they were going to be free. Uh, And they wanted to spend a year with us. And, of course, I'm thinking, wow, fantastic, a free employee for a year to two years as they get settled into New York. Uh, and then they'll go off. And they made very clear to me, they would not cost me a nickel. They've got plenty of money and all that. And I said, well, uh, let's do this. And a a few weeks after this conversation, we were having a uh, all-day staff retreat. Uh, And I said, why don't you just come and sit in on our staff retreat and, uh, you know, just participate. And they said, sure, fantastic. And they came, Uh, and uh, his spouse. And I remember halfway through the day realizing very clearly uh, this is not the right fit. Uh, again, it was, a, it was a minor test run uh, before making a commitment, but even a free person for a year uh, is not free because it costs time, energy, uh, s- people's salaries, you know, in terms of their time, and uh, you're investing in that person. So. Uh, that was wonderful in terms of realizing another person we we're about to hire, and um, and actually uh, they were they were I had them begin volunteering, and this was actually around emotionally healthy discipleship as we were building out the, our present nonprofit, and I had them just come to a uh, planning day, uh, and uh, we were talking about the possibility of uh, them coming on staff. Flew them in. Uh, and actually, you know, she was apparently very well qualified, and I'd known her for a number of years. She was a raving fan of EH Discipleship. But, uh, and I gave her a couple of assignments to do to prepare for the staff planning day. But it was very evident, as she did. And uh, I remember uh, she sent me some documents. It was like, oh, she has the ability to make the simple complex. And um, uh, again, realizing this is not gonna, this is not the right fit. Uh, uh, so the great problem is then exactly if we're, if we're not test running before we commit, uh, we're also creating culture of people making quick hires or quick empowerments. And uh, I can have one person who was under me at one time and I was leading the church and, and they hired a uh, quick leaks. I was doing quick hires and they hired a, a person who was involved in IT their whole life, had never really overseen other people and made them uh, the administrator. Uh, they happen to be very high introverts. 
a high introvert at the same time. It was just, it was just a wrong fit. And again, a person I saw was a very good youth worker. So I made them head of the team. Uh, that's a different set of skills to manage adult volunteers, uh, to manage, um, you know, potentially another staff down the road requires different gifts, skills, and maturity levels. Uh, but again, I didn't do a test run of that. I just knew they were great with kids themselves one-on-one. So again, remember, first principle, uh, and it's worth a lot, test run before you commit. Now, the second is equally um, powerful, and that's where it's number two is this, and I, is don't hire on potential alone. Don't hire on potential alone. Now, you've got to become aware there's a big difference between potential and their actual work history or the, what they've done in the past. It's perhaps one of the most common mistakes uh, that we make. I know I've made so many times. It's high risk. If a person has never done the role which you're asking them to do, you really have no idea. You don't know if they can do it or not. Uh, I used to be in awe uh, of people's gifts. Again, it was a reflection of my immaturity. Uh, I would... I was I would split. It's called splitting. I'd see all their great, great qualities, their anointings, their gifts, and what they could do. And of course, I saw myself as, oh man, my my gifts are so inadequate. All I stink. And so I had this splitting thing of only seeing so often their great potential. And I think it's part of what makes us, you know, pastors and leaders, especially in churches, we see people's potential, like like Jesus saw in Peter. We're like, yeah, what they could be, and. Uh, and so I didn't ask hard questions. Uh, I didn't want to ask the hard questions. But the more I did my own inner work, that's why you can't separate our inner life from our outer life. But the more I did my own inner work, the better I got at seeing that, oh, everybody has uh, profound weaknesses, not just me. Everyone's got a shadow. So, for example, I would hire a great, I think of one person, he was a great public person, um, a pastor. I mean, people loved him. Uh, and... Uh, he was effective publicly. The problem was <clears throat> he did not do conflict like ever. And I remember as he began to walk out his role, uh, he was consistently avoiding uh, and skirting conflicts uh, with people. And you can't be in, in, in a leadership position on any level, in any kind of organization, and especially a church, uh, without dealing with conflicts and negotiating differences and having to say difficult things to people. But it was so deep uh, in his history and culture and family. Uh, my goodness. Uh, I, I, I just, again, I hired him on potential, let alone be overseeing volunteers and, and then eventually staff. But I just, I didn't look at his past history and at all. I figured out it'll all work out. I also had another person who was just great. Uh, he, had our, he had my values. He had our, he was multi, he was cross-cultural. He was willing to live on less a salary in a place like New York and uh, had all the right degrees and had done a good amount of suffering uh, in his life for Christ. And I'm thinking, this is a he'll do great uh, in this environment here. Uh, he'll explode. Uh, but again, it was all potential. Uh, he'd never been in a similar role uh, and all the complexities that I was putting him in. Uh, at anything in his work history. But again, I wasn't looking at that. I was just looking at his potential. Now, the positives, and I, and I, I eventually began to do this a bit right, of distinguishing potential versus their actual work history, their past work history. 
And I think of Ruth, Ruth's our executive director at Emotionally Discipleship. And uh, when we were beginning, which about 10 years ago, uh, she'd, she'd been in the marketplace and had worked for a corporation, uh, a Fortune 500 corporation, and had a very large job uh, in a corporate environment. But she'd never worked in a nonprofit and never worked with pastors before. Uh, and so I was very slow uh, because I knew, she, well, she had great she had potential, but this was a long way from being in a corporate environment. In fact, she was going to be the first employee. We didn't hire a second person until four months ago, uh, 10 years later. Uh, and so I used to, again, I used to give out titles like I gave out candy. Now I'm very thoughtful, very careful. Uh, I don't let my anxiety uh, get the best of me, you know, fear they might go somewhere else. Uh, and uh, went very slow, uh, recognizing that although Ruth is an enormously gifted person, but this was gonna be an entirely different world for her. For her. And uh, we were able to talk about it, even from the interviewing process. Um, again, I, I was with a person recently who, who had hired a, a, a singer who to be his worship pastor in, in his church, it was a church plant. But again, he, she, he saw the potential, but she had never actually even led worship in a church before, let alone a team. And uh, he actually gave her the title worship pastor. Uh, church, was only, church was only 10 people. Uh, it didn't work out, but he saw the potential, didn't look at the past history. She'd never done anything even similar. And so even when uh, I did my transition of succession at New Life Fellowship Church uh, with Rich uh, as the lead pastor, I, I knew this was a complex job. He was in his early 30s. Um, and though he'd been on staff for seven years prior, and we even had a year of a, kind of a trial run before he actually stepped in the position. Um, I, I knew that he had all the potential, no question about that. And he'd had a job in different another church and then our church for seven years as an associate pastor. But I, I realized there was a risk involved of him taking over a large complex church uh, with 20 plus employees. And my goal was for him to succeed. And so I purposely, part of the reason I did stay around uh, under his leadership, for, you know, for the first few years was because I wanted to be his champion and, and help him succeed. But I was aware, and I think, I, I think at that point, our board had come to a place of recognizing there's a difference between potential and actual work history. Uh, but again, it was a long uh, process uh, and it's worked out to be a great one. And so I just spent a few years spending, you know, less time each year in supporting him until it was... My gosh, Pete, get out of the way. He's doing great. So again, that's the second principle, all right? Uh, don't hire on potential alone. The third, uh, I learned from a very wise uh, consultant, and I actually was very resistant to accept it uh, until I learned the hard way that it was true. And it's this. Expect a four-year runway. I'll say it again because it's so important. Expect a four-year runway. This comes actually from Bob Beal, and Bob Beal has been in the uh, consulting for-profit companies as well as Christian nonprofits and churches for uh, 40 to 50 years. And uh, I was working with him for a couple of years, a, a number of years ago, and, and, and he said this principle of it takes four years for a person to learn a new role. And he said it applies to if a person, if they were vice president of IBM or vice president of Coca-Cola and they became the president, it would take them four years to learn the job. Uh, and here were his four years. The first year, uh, he said, was orientation. In other words, it takes a year to actually adjust to the new role, 
Uh, and by the end of the first year, they're, they're actually beginning to understand where they are. The second year is experimentation. Let's try this, let's, not, let's try that. The third year is evaluation, what's working, what's not working. And by the fourth year, they're actually accelerating. Again, it's a four-year runway. And so, again, even myself, and he was referring actually to me, I'd been pastoring for decades, and I was now transitioning, and I was going to lead a nonprofit uh, called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which was very different. Uh, I'd never done that before. And he said, you're just getting oriented. And to what it even means to lead a nonprofit uh, like this and being in this role, different financial model, different role you're in. Uh, and it's different for Jerry and what it means to be a bit writing more, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I remember saying, that's ridiculous. And, and then, of course, he's applying it to everybody else. It was such a, it's such a brilliant principle. And I just, I, I commend it to you. Expect a four-year run runway of orientation, experimentation, evaluation, and acceleration. Listen, here's, here's the foolishness of uh, something I did a number of years ago. I was given a great, a big chunk of money. It, early on, we were like probably, I don't know, fourth year maybe or fifth year of our journey and we were growing rapidly so someone gave us a large chunk of money to hire 10 full-time interns and in order that we could multiply churches we were planting churches at that time pretty quickly but of course i i didn't think it through i'm thinking okay we hired these 10 folks they were all young uh in their 20s um mid to late 20s and so I put them in position and you know, they all began to serve in different roles. Uh, as a result, the amount of time it took me to, to invest in them and oversee them, and they're all just getting started themselves. They're getting oriented, but I don't know they're getting oriented. I think they're gonna hit the ground running. Uh, the church felt neglected, number of people. The money actually ran out, uh, and I had to let most of them go because it didn't have the money for it. And it actually, it, it hurt the church, but I didn't understand the four-year runway uh, at all. Uh, I'll quote Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom uh, of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Uh, prudent people think long-term, uh, they understand the big picture, uh, they're not hasty, they're not rushing, uh, they're thoughtful and pondering. Uh, and I remember one of the interns had a great uh, passion for world justice. The problem was uh, uh, his own family didn't reflect his commitment to justice. Uh, but again, that four-year runway, I just ignored it. But expect it. it make, it'll help you calm down when you hire someone recognizing it's going to take a time to put together. Uh, and then also, it'll give, you, give them grace to grow into the job. The fourth principle is understand your power as a supervisor or boss. Understand your power as a supervisor or boss. In other words, you've got to do your work to transition into a person with the greater power as a, um, in quotation marks, you're the boss, you're the supervisor. I don't care if they're volunteer or not, there's a hierarchy here, and hopefully they understand it, uh, that everybody works for somebody. I work for somebody. I've got a board over me. Um, and you recognize that someone above you does have the call, and you're not angry with them. And so they say, hey, can you hand us a report by Wednesday? You're able to deliver it on Wednesday. You don't give it on Thursday, you know. But you understand your, your power as a supervisor or as a boss. Now, I say this because our history plays out at the next level. In other words, we project our history into our current behavior. Uh, so, for example, I, I, in my own background, I had a very difficult time getting a hold of my power as a supervisor, as a boss. Uh, again, part of it was my abusive background. Authority was wielded so poorly by my parents, my caregivers. Uh, 
And then I would find people not doing well with me as their authority. Uh, and it took me a while to realize, oh, if they're stuck in the way that they're responding to me as uh, the person who is their supervisor, uh, it's often goes back to their family of origin. Uh, so for example, if a person's always, if I was always afraid of my mother uh, and a woman is my boss, I often will play it out with her. Or if I felt my dad was really, if my father was really critical, for example, and I never, I never reworked that, and you're my boss now, uh, and uh, you are my boss, and you know, you say something, hey, Pete, I wish you'd done this differently. Chances are, I'm going to hear that as criticism, not as advice, and I'm going to get really ticked off. Uh, so again, understand your power as a supervisor because I didn't feel worthy to be a boss. I, I remember taking my first taxi ride as, as a pastor. I was in the back of the taxi and I said, what am I doing? I should be driving the taxi for somebody else. So I didn't pick up signals that I should have, that things were not right. Um, and uh, I, I hired someone once. I was coming off a, a mistake I'd made, a big mistake I'd made uh, in leadership. Felt like I, I was humiliated uh, publicly. It was a bad hire. And out of my own uh, poor self-image, I hired someone who actually was consistently undercutting me. They were very confident and secure in themselves. And after like a year and a half or two years where I felt this person, I'd say yes, they'd say no, I'd say up, they'd say down. And I finally went to them and said, you know, I feel like sometimes you act like you should be the lead pastor and I should be under you. And they actually said to me, you're exactly right. When I came and that's exactly what I thought. I, w I was like, what? What? But I wasn't picking it up because of my own poor self-image. So listen, when I, we talk about understanding your power as a supervisor or a boss, that was a that was you know under understanding the power dynamics and dual relationships. That's the that was a large impetus. The major reason I wrote initially the emotionally healthy leader. I was after 26 years of being the lead pastor, and I want to invite you to download a free discussion guide guide on the emotionally healthy leader. Uh, going to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. Uh, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. It's a free resource. Uh, it's actually got some free video chapter introductions as well. <clears throat> it's a fantastic, uh, I know it's a great resource as a book. It's got to be lived into. The study guide is really helpful. Um, but you'll get a sense, it'll, it'll go into your shadow. How do I face my shadow? Uh, how do I slow down for loving union with Jesus as I'm doing things like planning and strategic uh, decision-making? And then how do I exercise power and wise boundary? There's actually a great chapter on power and wise boundary. I think it's worth the whole book, to be perfectly honest. But download the discussion guide. I think you'll be very glad you did. It's filled with excellent uh, uh, practical counsel uh, that's applied in a variety of ways. Listen, again, let me just give you a, a final positive example with this because about understanding your power as a supervisor and boss. Uh, one of the persons that worked for me in, in, in the celebration area at one point wanted to take the church a different direction around celebration and worship, and we kept clashing. Uh, and I finally said to him, uh, you know, tell me your vision clearly, wh where you'd like to take this whole area. And it was really different than mine. It kind of, kind of all got on the table. And I was able to you know, listen and then share that uh, I loved his vision, but it was not mine, in particular with the, the way we ran our, our Sunday services at the time. And I said, there's a place for that, maybe on Friday nights or a different place. Um, but I said, if God's calling you here long-term to be on this staff uh, with me, then your vision will fit within my larger vision. Uh, and the guy was incredibly gifted and capable. And, 
and he went and prayed and thought about it. He said, yeah, yeah, my vision fits within your vision. I, I can I can move some of the stuff I want to do to a different evening. And we ended up being together for decades. Incredibly effective, uh, incredibly effective godly guy. But it was a key moment for my relationship with him and in my relationship with myself. All right, that's it. Let me go to the fifth principle of emotionally healthy hiring, and it's this. Include multiple people in the interview process. Include multiple people in the interview process. Uh, listen, I would find, I, I would, you know, I, I would hire someone if I saw, again, I saw the potential. I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is fantastic. I think of one fellow who was, I went to, I went to seminary with him and, oh my gosh, we loved each other, enjoyed each other, and he was available. And I don't want anyone else to interview him. I said, I don't want anyone to mess this up. And uh, why bother? Uh, but you know what? It didn't go well. Uh, we all need different perspectives. So we want to include multiple people, multiple voices in that interview process because they all come at it differently. And you want to ask hard questions and create scenarios for them uh, in an interview process. Like, what would you do if in this kind of a case? And you want to, as people are doing, various people do interviews, you want to talk about what are they observing? And you make, and you'll go back probably for another interview. You want to exhaust that interview process. Why did you leave that last job? And if they're available, you think it's such a miracle, which is all good. But the question is, why are you available? <laughs> what happened? Uh, tell me your three greatest failures in your last job. Uh, you know, the funny thing, people used to always say things. Tell me your greatest failure. Well, I'm such a, I want such high quality. People have sometimes said I'm a perfectionist, you know. And you want to get past those kinds of answers. Uh, two of my daughters work for tech companies, and I've been amazed at their their interview process, how lengthy it is, how many people are involved. Um, but it's wonderful when people are picking up uh, things like they have moved around a lot. You know, why, why is that? And so, uh, you know, I've gotten very good at this and gone very slow with people and, uh, you know, and, and you pick up things in the interview process. And one fellow had, uh, he, was, again, he was a worship leader. But he, he, all his teams were professional uh, in a large church, were professional uh, musicians. They weren't volunteer uh, teams. And he never built volunteer teams. And it, it didn't come out because he didn't really do a, a large interview process. Uh, but fortunately, there was, a, there was a slow process and it wasn't a, anything too difficult. But uh, we tend to ignore signs that are so obvious. Um, and sometimes a person will pick it up uh, and... Uh, you know, I, again, I, I often did not want to hear the negative stuff from other interviewers. So include multiple people in the interview process. Uh, sixthly is this, diligently follow through on references. Uh, diligently follow through on references. Uh, now, if you're afraid to ask for references that they're going to be offended, that's already a problem. Uh, but you want to take, this takes time. I didn't want to do references because it's slow. It doesn't mean you have to do them all, but it does take time. Uh, and it's a slow process. And I didn't want to, I honestly, sometimes I didn't want to offend people to think I didn't believe in them. Listen, it's true. You don't believe in them. You just don't give people power um, and resources and authority and influence over sheep and over people. Uh, you're, you're under Jesus, stewarding this for God. And again, the references you want to be asking hard questions. Things like what hesitancies might you have if you were hiring them for this position? Or what weaknesses have you experienced or do you think I might need to be aware of? And then the seventh and the last one, at least for today, is this. Approach hiring as a discernment process. Approach hiring as a discernment process for you and for them. Again, um, uh, we're inviting people to 
apply and enter into a position. But the real question is, it, what's God's will in this? Um, you know, sometimes people have illusions. Oh my gosh, I can leave my marketplace job and I can be working for God directly, vocationally, all day long. It'll be wonderful. And it's really illusion. Uh, and you want to slow it down so they can uh, see some of the weaknesses uh, of your ministry and of your nonprofit. Uh, you, want, you want them to see the suffering side of things. Listen, hiring is first and foremost a discernment process of God's will. That's why we always come at it completely open. Our, our hands are open. God, are you in this? And sometimes what looks like externally the best candidate um, is not God's for you in your situation. Now, listen, we're not running a corporation here. Well, uh, you know, we're followers of the Lord Jesus, and he is... Um, it's, it's his body, it's his church, it's, her, it's his ministry. If you're leading a nonprofit, you're, you're leading for Christ. So we come with an open hand. What's God saying? Uh, you want to include the spouse uh, as well if, there's, if they're married. Uh, what do they sense from God? But we're always open. Now listen, these remaining, the remaining, these seven principles um, are rich. Test before you commit. Don't hire on potential alone. Expect a four-year runway. Understand your power as a supervisor or boss. Um, include multiple people in the interview process. Follow through on uh, references diligently. And finally, approach hiring as a discernment process. Now, the remaining six are so rich, so valuable. I will do them in the next podcast. I do not want to rush them. Thank you so much for being here. Again, let me invite you to download the Emotionally Healthy Leader free discussion guide at emotionallyhealthyleader.org. No, I'm sorry, emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. Again, you'll find an excellent discussion guide with some video introductions there that I trust you'll find helpful to supplement what you've heard here today. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Blessings to you and have a wonderful, wonderful day.